This episode is supported by The Abstract and Maori Audio. All right, let's drop the needle. You can't really force someone to have that type of revelation or that type of feeling or moment. You can only hope, I guess. Life beyond work feel disconnected? Press pause and listen in. Talk Human to Me, a show for entrepreneurs with nothing about entrepreneurship. Founders take a break and reconnect with personal stuff that matters to them. I'm today's host, Jeff Schell. In this episode, I talk with Justine Lee, the co-creator of Make America Dinner Again and contributing partner at Living Room Conversations. But what she does only makes up part of who she is. Instead, we talked about stuff like greed, having kids, and how a tragedy with her grandparents' shoe shop taught her about gratitude. So grab a seat and kick back as our guest reconnects with parts of their identity that got left in the dark and rediscovers the foundation of who they are. We start each episode the same way. What about humans strikes you the most? I think that humans are walking contradictions. There are a lot of contradicting, competing forces, opinions at play, and then we have to also then meet and interact with each other and create and make a life together when we ourselves have these contradictions. So there can be, like as an example, there can be someone who is grieving the loss of someone and really sad that this person is no longer in their life, but also feel a lot of anger towards that person. That's one example. Also just people having, uh, like one that I think about for myself, I have a bunch, but one of them, I'm very much aware and passionate about the environment, but I do not live like that. And I make choices every day that are hurting the environment. And I feel like I'm not doing enough, even though that's probably the issue that is most on my mind and and really weighs on me. So I just feel like it's both a really beautiful thing, but also a little bit heartbreaking. What's incredible about it is I just think that it, it just shows you that things are not so cut and dry. People are not just one dimension. You know, there's, there's a lot of nuance and gray area within just one individual's mind and how they live and what they value. And, and all of that. And so I think that it's also human nature to want an easy answer or to be able to kind of have things defined. And when you have these contradicting thoughts or your actions don't always match your values, there's just this turmoil or this disturbance in in you. I guess it's kind of going to more negative slant. I wanted to like pick it up and make it a positive, but that's the other thing about humans. See, I actually think that it is hopeful because I've observed people, I've observed myself like always trying to find the silver lining in every situation, always trying to turn a negative experience that I've had, whether it's like rejection or a negative reaction with a loved one. I feel like I always try to turn it into a lesson or I try to find the positive in it. And sometimes there just is not one. But I find it hopeful in a way, a reflection of the hope I feel for humanity that people are trying to find a positive. Another thing about that strikes me about humans is they're, you know, not all humans, obviously, these are just these are big generalizations. But I do think a lot of people, you know, they're working through their stuff, we're all works in progress, and we're all just trying. And it takes 
different amounts of time for each person, but I really admire anyone who is just living and is trying their best. What are some things that are present in your life right now that you're still working through what it means within you? Is it a positive thing? Is it a negative thing? Or maybe it's a different type of reconciliation? Hmm. There are a few things that are on my mind. I think it's there is a little bit of pressure surrounding this decade of my life, which is my 30s. And I feel like it is very much a transitional decade for a lot of people. It's a time when people are starting to think about whether or not they want to have children if they want to start a family. Because for women, unfortunately, there is a window of time that is best for the mother and for the child. And once you pass that window of time, there are a lot of questions, potential complications. And there's also stress on the woman's body. And also the the idea that like you're going to be older as you raise this child, right? So I am only starting to feel it now because few of my close friends are getting pregnant. And my brother and his wife are thinking about starting to try to have a kid next year. And I think that those are kind of like these external signals like, okay, that's the direction that a lot of people are going in. And I think as someone who loves children has, for most of my life, I've been pretty sure that I want to have kids, but it's never been absolute. And the fact that I haven't met someone that I want to actually do that with is what's keeping me from fully answering that question. I think that if I were in a serious relationship and I trusted and loved that person and then I could actually wrap my head around, okay, do I want to bring a child into this world? I'd like our listeners to know more about one of our sponsors, The Abstract. Let me give the co-founder, Lala Openi, a quick call. That way we can hear from the human behind the company. Hey, Lala, this is Jeff. So I wanted our listeners to get to know you and your company a bit better. What value does your company have that personally means a lot to you? With the abstract, our practice is essentially healing and dealing, sharing and caring. Um, This personally means a lot to me because it demystifies mental health work and reminds me that we're all living through the same human condition together. Like none of us lives in a bubble. And in my own journey to healing, it's been a give and take, ebb and flow, rest and recovery, coping and resiliency. Um, It's definitely hard work, but I've learned that sometimes the most profound work I can do is is to keep things simple. Take some deep breaths, remember that I love and accept myself and my emotions as they are. There's enough organized chaos and disconnect that we deal with on a day-to-day. Healing and dealing, sharing and caring is not only important, it's revolutionary. I went to my friend's mm-hmm. wife's birthday party and she turned 51. So a lot of her friends are in their 40s and 50s and a number of them have children, their parents. And one lady I spoke with when I told her my age and that I was single, she was just, I said, oh, the one thing that I've been talking to, I told her with my friends lately, our conversations have moved from dating now to like freezing our eggs. And she was like, you should do it. She was like, you don't need to do it right at this moment. But in the next few years before 35, if you have the resources, you have the money, because it is expensive if you don't have coverage, she's like, you should do it. And I feel like I've been hearing that a lot more. I heard that in an interview with Michelle Obama, because she had her children later in life. It's frustrating because 
it is a lot of money. It is a lot of time. That process of freezing eggs is not simple. And I think it's also emotional for some people. I think that it takes up like half a year. And then you have to pay for storage on top of just the fee of the like procedure. And so that's been weighing on me a little bit. And it's not like it's something that I think about a lot, but I just think that it's a looming thing that will need to get resolved at some point. Well, one thing that the woman said, she was like, oh, once you freeze your eggs, then you will just feel so free. It's pretty much like you're paying for your freedom and, and peace of mind. You can set aside these eggs that you know are healthy and ready to bring life into the world at some later date. And you can just focus on whatever you want to focus on, whether that's building your career or forming meaningful, deep relationships with people or traveling or not having a clear direction necessarily and, and figuring things out. It gives you the luxury of that time. But again, that's probably why it's so expensive. A lot of that seems to be looming in like a, a low light way right now. Not necessarily negative, but just like something that's bearing on you. I think I always end up going to a place of gratitude because I realize, well, there are different options. I could freeze my eggs in the future or maybe I don't. Or even if I do, that doesn't necessarily mean I'll even have a kid. And I think that I've had to come to terms with the fact that I might not have a child in my lifetime. And that's okay. I think it will be when I actually have to make that decision or when it becomes just obvious that it's not going to happen. I probably will have some moments of sadness and feel a little bit of loss. But I think that I trust in my future self that I'll be able to handle it. And then now I just think about my life and I'm like, there are so many things that I'm doing right now a lot of work on myself, a lot of continuing to nurture my friendships, traveling, and then moving to New York. And all those things, I feel like I'm making those decisions and I'm living life and I am finding some peace. And I realize that if I were at this moment in my life trying to start a family, I would not be able to do those things fully or as fully as I am able to do them now. I don't think it's one or the other. Certainly, I hope that if I do end up starting a family, I'll still be able to nurture my friendships and I'll still be able to travel and I'll still have curiosity. But I feel like right now where I am, I'm just grateful for my health and the opportunity to live out and experiment with ideas and make mistakes and learn from them. Has gratitude always been something that you consciously think about and try to remind yourself to have, or is it something recent? It's been a long time. I think it's been since when I was in elementary school, I remember watching Oprah and one piece of advice she was giving all her viewers was verbalizing what you're grateful for goes a really long way. It's something that might come up in your mind. You might be like, oh yeah, I really am thankful for this person in my life or I'm thankful that I have the ability to do this. But to actually make a conscious effort, dedicate time in the day to writing it down and really internalizing and thinking like, wow, that practice, she said, for herself was really transformative. And so I think at the time, there was either a notebook that was already out that she was trying to promote, or maybe she was just like, you could just take any notebook and, and start writing. But I actually do have a five-minute journal. It's by my bedside, and it's gratitude-oriented. And so it's a time to reflect on the day. And I, I like that there is more emphasis placed on the things that went well, but there's still room for, hey, what's something that 
maybe didn't go as well and I can keep in mind for the future. And it's also a way when you when I flip through it, when I flip through my past entries, I can see, oh, this is there are some patterns. There are some mm. things that I commonly regret or wish I could have done better. Mostly it's around communication. And usually the things that I'm grateful for, honestly, also there are patterns like it's usually friends and family, but sometimes I'll get even more specific than that. I'll just be like, I realize that I'm able to take a shower every day and not everyone is. And I just feel grateful for that. But it can get even more specific like, oh, someone said this, said something to me today and I really needed to hear that or the way the sunlight like peeks through my curtains in the morning and it just makes me feel warm or whatever, right? I think it's really easy to just be like, I'm grateful for my health, friendship and family and kind of just leave it at that. But I think I've been trying to make my points more specific. Are there other repeated rhythms or practices you have in your life? Because this sounds like an amazing way to set a tone for your day. And I know you also write a lot. I do. When something's weighing on me and I feel like I can't really push through or I can't really sort through things internally, I do feel really moved to grab a journal, grab a notebook and start writing. Sometimes I'll type. Writing has always been my outlet, my craft, something mm -hmm. that I feel is like an extension of me. When I like observe the world, I feel like I'm observing it in words. Sometimes I'll be taking Muni, I'll be sitting on the bus and I'll just be observing the people around me and also what's going on outside the bus as we're passing by. And in my head, it'll be like these little vignettes or stories, short stories that kind of come into my mind. And I'll even like imagine dialogue that's happening between people outside or even on the bus. And like my mind does go to that place, not every day, but often enough that I'm like, I think that this is just something that's in me. I'd like our listeners to know more about one of our sponsors, Mallory Audio. Let me give Mauricio Escamilla a quick call. That way, we can hear from the human behind the company. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mauricio. So I wanted our listeners to get to know you and your company a bit better. What core value of Mallory Audio personally means a lot to you? Mauri Audio is the culmination of my love for music, sound, and expressive production. Drawn to music and sound at a young age, I decided to focus on the science of it all, how to capture and truly make sound as emotive and powerful as it needs to be in order to fully move and impact the viewer and listener. A core value would be working with those whose voice needs to be amplified. I've had the pleasure of working with many independent artists, producers, and filmmakers to make their production as strong as it can be. Amplifying the voice of the voiceless, specifically marginalized people, is a big part of my work, and it brings me joy and fulfillment as a person of color from immigrant parents to be able to do that. There's this constant for people to balance their extrinsic factors and their internal factors. So for you, it seems like there's this constant reflection internally with yourself, which for most people, that doesn't happen. There's little to no reflection a lot of the things that they associate a happening with or an incident with is always external from themselves, mm, right? Mm -hmm. Is that something that you had to learn? Yeah, I don't know exactly where it came from or if it's from one person or experience in my life. But I think it was just a lot of the stories that I've taken in, you know, read or seen in the news, watched documentaries about, read novels, whatever, heard secondhand, heard from my friends, just hearing all these human stories, right? Like 
behind every person, there is a story, there is a hardship, there is a struggle. And it made me feel like, okay, I get really frustrated with my own stuff, my own struggles, my own thing. But I'm not alone. You're not alone. We're not alone. We all have different things going on. And this feeling of like, well, there's just so much shit in the world. There's just so much devastation and greed and excess and hurt and unanswerable questions and people who live an entire lifetime of suffering. And I think this is the family link. Like, I think about my parents and I think about my grandparents and then I think about their ancestors, which I know a little bit less about what their lives were like. But even if I just take my grandparents, for example, they definitely lived with much fewer means, like not as much money, not as many opportunities, not at all being able to think about what do I want to do in this life? It was literally wake up, work, survive. That's it. You know, it was like very baseline, very basic stuff. I mean, it's not like it was completely that all the time. I'm sure they had some fun in their lives, you know, had moments of lightness. But I think that for the most part, it was they were in survival mode. And I think when I learned more about that growing up from my parents, hearing how my dad's parents had to flee from communism and my mom's parents had a small business and they did struggle to make ends meet for their six children and their shoe shop actually burned down like at least five years before they were planning on retiring. So that definitely forced them to have to get creative and couldn't do everything that they wanted to do for their children. But Luckily, it was a little bit later in life, so they had saved up, but it still was not ideal. And I think I think for the most part, they felt grateful for their life because there are people who were worse off than them. And it just, I think I just reflect on that and I'm like, wow, I, because I can already trace it back and be like, oh, I have these opportunities that my parents didn't. I am American. My first language was English. I can navigate the world a little bit more fluidly and easily than they could when they were growing up. They had jobs that they took because it was practical and it made money and it allowed them to stay in the U.S., whereas I am still able to try to figure out what I want to do in life. And being able to just make that direct comparison, I'm just like, I'm very lucky. As down as I can get on myself about certain things, forget it. Like, you've got so much going on. You are so lucky. You have people who love you in your life. You have an incredible support network. You have things that you like about yourself. You can create things out of nothing. You have your health. You have the ability to empathize with people and think about other people, which is, I think, a total luxury. Like, everything that I'm talking about now is a complete luxury and... I just feel very grateful. And I know that life is going to throw curveballs at me. And I know that things are not going to be where they are now. I'm going to experience an incredible loss at some point, a parent, a friend, I don't know. And I'm just really hoping that the tenacity and the resilience and the strength that I've been building over these years will prepare me for those times. We're very, very fortunate to be able to think internally. And at the same time, people constantly thinking externally all the time might also not have the perspective of being able to zoom out. It's weird. Although internal might seem like the ability to zoom out and be able to understand and try to reflect on bigger things that are happening and just realizing, let's just be grateful. Why are we trying to like chase all these things when there's a lot of very possible disastrous things that are just within the horizon in 25 years, 50 years. That's one thing I don't get is greed. I think greed really is one of the things that just 
pisses me off the most when someone already has so much and they want more at the expense of other people. I just, oh, like I understand when someone has nothing or has very little and they see that others have things and they're like, hey, I kind of want that. I want to work towards that, right? That's different to me than someone who starts with a lot and who then makes decisions to hurt and suppress or kill or whatever it may be to get more and more and more. I think consumerism, excess, capitalism. Oh, I know there's just a lot of stuff that I feel a lot of anger towards, but I also realize that I'm a participant in it. I do consume. I probably have over the years given money in ways that I'm aware of or not aware of to corporations that are led by really greedy people. But I even sometimes see that greed in peers or people in the Bay Area, and I don't like it. I just... Yeah, I just wish there were more moments of like genuine gratitude and re- and self-reflection. And I know there are plenty of stories. I mean, I'm not the first person to say that greed sucks and that it can ruin lives and even ruin the lives of the people who are greedy. They get caught or they they lose everything or they go to prison or they lose all their friends or they commit suicide or whatever. It's also part of human nature in some ways, but I just think that's the one of all the sins that bothers me a lot. It's funny how humans constantly refer to ourselves as the most intelligent beings on the planet when we have so many observable contradictions and flaws and things that we're just incapable of reconciling, whether it's with ourselves within groups of communities. And yet we've deemed and tasked ourselves to be leading all of life. I know, the entire planet. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to make all the decisions. We are these walking contradictions that have to constantly reconcile uh, left and right, good and bad, negative and positive, and what's greed and gratitude. What is it that we have to push to have humans realize we are very, very small? We're not as grand and amazing as we think we are. I don't know. I feel like people are pretty comfortable right now. There are definitely people out there who can go into nature but not feel anything and not feel that smallness. You can't really force someone to have that type of revelation or that type of feeling or moment. You can only hope, I guess. I think a lot of people talk about looking up at the stars and that for a lot of people, I think, makes people feel small and it gives you a moment of, oh shit, then it can go down different paths for different people. I sometimes feel like meditation, yoga, hiking, going to shows or whatever, it's just become like a part of everyone's way of optimizing their life. I feel like a lot of people will do things because that's what everyone else is doing. And there's obviously there's truth to a lot of it, right? Like when you meditate, I think meditation is really powerful. And I'm not saying that it's not worth time. I think it's all in how you approach it and how you really think about it for yourself. And I think that a lot of people build up this image of I'm living this ideal life because I do all these things and I am just optimizing for mental health. I'm optimizing for physical health. I'm optimizing for romance and for family relationships because I do this and that. And and they're also just curating it and packaging it up and being like, this is my life, putting it on Facebook or whatever, or just talking about it constantly. It creates this pressure for people to like out optimize each other. And then it becomes oversimplified and it becomes less than like, what it really is, is like an internal practice. It's not just, oh, are you into yoga? It's like, no, I really want to connect with someone. I have a really good friend who is trained to be a yoga instructor. And almost every time we hang out, we usually do 15 minutes of yoga meditation or Mm -hmm. stretching. Mm -hmm. And then we make dinner together and we sit and eat and catch up. And it's become a little bit of a ritual for us. 
but it's not something that I'm going to like post on Instagram stories and find the right hashtags for. I like being able to keep some things to myself. It makes it more valuable in a way because you're just like, I know that this positive thing is happening to me. I know that I'm growing in these ways. I know that I'm enjoying life, but I'm just going to keep it for myself or for whoever I'm sharing that experience with. Maybe it'll come up like it's come up right now in our talk, but it's enough that it exists. Like it doesn't need to be amplified. It doesn't need to be reaffirmed with likes or recognition from people that I don't even talk to anymore. Talking with Justine, I noticed thoughts and emotions in her that also come up across a lot of other founders. This frequent behavior of comparing ourselves with other people and subsequently feeling bad about ourselves, it got me curious about the psychology and science behind that. So I called up visiting expert Vix Jensen, who holds a master's degree in psychology of education from the University College London. Her work primarily focuses on advocating for the inclusion of disabled people in feminist conversations and spaces. You can find more information about her at vixjensen.com. That's V-I-X-J-E-N-S-E-N.com. Vix has led a lot of conversations around inclusivity, representation, access, and how we can develop better, more nuanced understanding between one another. So she can definitely drop some knowledge on us. Hello? Hey, Vix. So I got a question for you. While we're all just trying to do our best in this world, we often compare our circumstances with other people. This can result in negative emotions about ourselves or a sense of inadequacy. Why do humans make these comparisons? And as we've often seen, why does going back to a place of gratitude for what we already have usually help these negative emotions subside? So in terms of why we compare ourselves to other people, I want to tell you about this neat thing called social comparison theory. And this theory argues that actually comparison is really useful as an evaluating tool. We only have the other humans we're around to compare ourselves to in terms of figuring out what we're good at, what we're bad at, where our strengths are, where our weaknesses are. So it can be super useful as a sort of tool of the self to figure out who you are, and where you stand. And actually, studies have shown that positive and friendly competition can be really good because it can motivate us to do better and act as really that force that pushes us above and beyond. But like you said, it can also be a negative thing. I think it was Theodore Roosevelt that said that comparison can be the thief of joy. And that's definitely true. And I would argue that that's because we have a tendency to compare ourselves to perfect versions or paragons of the traits that we desire. We'll think of another entrepreneur that we know or someone else in our friendship circle, and we'll kind of make an image of them that is perfectly perfect and that aspires to everything that we want to be. And that makes us feel bad because it's no longer a motivational tool, but just something that we won't ever measure up to. In terms of gratitude helping, I think the reason why gratitude has become a helpful tool in a lot of people's lives is because it's really a practice of mindfulness, right? It grounds you in the moment. Part of the thing that creates anxiety and negative feelings around comparisons or fear of not measuring up is because you're thinking, what if I never arrive at this goal? Why didn't I do this before? So you're sort of grounded in the past and in the future, but practicing gratitude lets you look 
at what's happening now and lets you put your feet on the ground and realize what is good about the moment. If you'll allow me just to be a little bit contrarian though, I do think that we put a bit too much focus on gratitude sometimes and it is important to not overfocus on it because part of the thing that can happen if we overfocus on it is that that constant pursuit of pleasure and gratefulness can override the emotion that we're actually feeling, which is sometimes important. It's sometimes important to acknowledge, to say, I'm not where I want to be and I want to be somewhere different. So I need to do something about that. And kind of always trying to force yourself to be grateful is sometimes the opposite of what you want to do. So I would say, look for gratitude and enjoy it if it's there and see what comes up for you, but don't force it. I hope our conversation helped listeners reconnect with personal stuff they care about. We end each episode with this question. Ultimately, what's the point of all of this? Of all of this? Oh, I don't know. I think it's, uh, I don't know that there is a point. I think maybe the point is that there isn't a point. (laughs) It's like really fuzzy. I think if we knew what the point was and we could define it very well, we'd be living our lives differently. We'd be living our lives maybe more closely in line with that point all the time. But because it's kind of fuzzy and it's always changing or evolving and and building off, like I feel like over the years, my point has just become more refined, but it's still not completely sharpened or completely clear to me what it is. I, I don't know. I'm just trying my best, I think. I think a lot of us are just trying our best to do better, to help other people, to preserve what we find beautiful, meaningful, and important in this world, and trying to, as much as we can, not take for granted or make meaning from this life that we've been given. Find the complete experience for this episode at talkhumantome.com. And while you're there, take a look at our curated bite-sized clips. We put together these miniature thoughts to help you reconnect in three minutes or less. We work with sponsors that care about helping people reconnect and rediscover who they are beyond their work. Check out the special treats they're giving our audience at talkhumantome.com backslash sponsors. Also, this show takes a dedicated squad. Shoutouts to designer Lala Openi for our show's artwork and to audio engineer Mauricio Escamilla for shaping our sound. Check out their companies and creations at talkhumantome.com backslash squad. Reach out to them if you need help with any design or sound project of your own. And finally, infinite love to our advisors, mentors, friends, and family. You help us stay inspired and keep this work going. Be well, be curious, practice empathy, and stay human.